Listen, I'm so elated that you're joining us today. Today, I want to talk to you about suffering. We live in a world that seems to be more and more inundated with suffering from uh, senseless waves of violence to uh, incredible economic uh, woes that is causing uh, families to make hard choices, threatening um, where people are living and the quality of life to disease that are popping out popping into our lives in a variety of different ways. And you can just go on and on. This is a season of suffering. We've been in a season uh, for quite some time as we've worked through this pandemic. What does our faith have to say about this? So uh, I wanted to take some time and address that uh, today. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would pour out your anointing and make this teaching, bring clarity and encouragement with it, and even some healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. So I'm calling this simply Finding Hope in my suffering. Now let's look at what the, the writer in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 3 says. It's our theme text for uh, today. Simply says this, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by now, the short summary of this uh, from a historical context is that this text is addressed to a guy by the name of Cyrus, who is the head of a nation, the Persian nation. And God is essentially saying, really, in this entire chapter comes to a culmination point here, that he's going to raise up this non-Jewish leader. He's, he's going to equip him with power to shatter the Babylonian Empire, to shatter the empire of the Medes, to raise up this super empire of the Persians, and when he gets to the height of his height, of the height of his power, uh, he'll move on the heart of Cyrus to liberate the Jewish people who had been in ex- had been exiled by the Babylonian kingdom. And part of that ability to liberate them is the wealth that he's going to, that God's going to show him where it's buried at. And back in that day, in the context of that day, the Jewish people would hide uh, tons and tons of um, wealth in subterranean areas and caves and beneath the ground and so forth and so on. And in fact, he discovered, Cyrus did, historically, an enormous amount of wealth, which gave him the financial capacity that he needed to become the empire that God had declared. And he did, in fact, liberate the Jewish people uh, from exile in Babylon. That is the historical context for this. But I want to suggest to you as we think about suffering that there is a spiritual truth in this, in this word. And I want us to engage this spiritual truth. First, let me just name a couple of things. Part of the things that part of what trips us up when it comes to faith, to our faith as we work through suffering, I think is a couple of false assumptions that we kind of carry with us in our life. The first false assumption is this, that life is either all good or all bad. On the all good side, uh, you know, we, we kind of imagine that, that threshold, whatever, whatever the imaginary threshold is for you, but that, that line that once we cross economically, we have economic security, or once we cross uh, in terms of educational or in terms of a job promotion, that, that, there's that part of us that says once we get across that line, life is going to be great. It's going to be fabulous. You know, you know, once we marry that person that we, we're really looking for, then life is going to be great. It might be a little hiccups here and there, but it's going to be all good. All good. And what actually happens is we cross the line. We get economic security or we fall in love, whatever the case might be. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, all hell breaks loose in our, in our family life or in our bodies. 
And suddenly suffering comes, and it trips us up. Because we say it's not supposed to be like that. Oh, the flip side of that, I met a person uh, in Santa Cruz when I was teaching at a church there who said for the last seven years their lives have been nothing but miserable. And this person has just concluded that's just the way life is. They, they had lost the capacity to see any good anywhere. They crossed the negative side of that threshold. I want to suggest to you this is a false assumption to think that life is either A or B. Now, here's another false assumption. A false assumption that says this. If we do everything right, life will ultimately turn out right. Now, there is some real truth to this to a point. Good, good choices leads to very good and healthy consequences. But the problem is we're making good choices and healthy consequences in a horrendously shattered and broken world. And so while that holds true, it holds true to a point. You know, when we were kids, they used to tell us, you do good, you get good, right? That's the, we got awards and rewards and all that kind of stuff. Well, it makes sense. But in this broken life, you've got the person who, for the last 15 years, is focused on his health. He's exercised regularly. He's eaten extremely well. He hasn't smoked one cigarette. And he goes for his regular checkup and finds out that he's got lung cancer. Yeah, that happens in this broken life, right? This is the person who did everything she was supposed to do. She taught, she lived the way she was supposed to live growing up in church. She's been disciplined with her body, with her mind, and yet she still can't get married. Or he gets married and, and is the best husband he can imagine being. He does everything right, and yet she still walks out on him. Yeah. It's still a brokenness. And we find this to be confusing. Well, we shouldn't be confusing because at the end of the day, uh, Jesus tells us that, you know, life is made up of good and bad. You know, let me just acknowledge that sometimes we preachers, we contribute to this challenge. Sometimes we suggest that if you have the, the right kind of size of faith, and if it's calibrated just right, you can, can maneuver your way around and you can avoid certain Suffering. And by the way, I'm talking about unearned suffering. I'm not talking about uh, earned suffering. I mean, the person who's driving down the freeway at 100 miles per hour and, and drives off the, off the side of the road, hits a tree and ends up in the hospital for six months. Uh, you know, he's breaking all those laws. That's, that's earned suffering. Come on, we can do some silly stuff, right? I'm talking about unearned suffering is what we're talking about here. And it comes to us because we live in broken world. Here's what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says. The night just before the worst moment of suffering that any human being could go through, that is the, the, the Roman crucifixion, the night just before he speaks to his disciples, speaks to all of us, he, makes sure, he wants to make sure that we are absolutely clear about this point so that when we run and stumble into horrendous moments of suffering covered over by dark seasons, that, that it will not cause our faith to be undone. Here's what he says. I have told you all of this so that... You will have peace in me, Jesus says. And he goes on to say, here on earth, you will have many. Can somebody shout many? Come on, type that in the chat. Many 
trials and sorrows. He misses no words here, guys. He says, I want to shape your expectations. He says, but take heart. Be of good courage. Hold on to your heart. Don't lose your heart. That's the implications there. Because I have overcome the world. And the suggestion is, if your life is hidden in me, Jesus declares, then I will counsel you through your suffering. I will empower you through your suffering. I will guide you through your suffering. And, and by the way, as we walk together through seasons of suffering, I will show you, I will give you treasures in the dark. Hidden treasures. Treasures hidden in the darkness. He's got to stay with me in this respect. Now, just one more point on this. Because I, I, I just, it's, I, I'm running across young people these days who are, who are just walking away from the faith because they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't reconcile the reality of God with, with the unfairness of the world. And, and here's part of the thinking that when we run into suffering in our lives, this is part of the thinking, we, we find suffering, we, we think of suffering as being misplaced or out of place when it shows up in our lives. But the fact of the matter is what Jesus just taught us is that suffering in this shattered world in which we live is not misplaced or out of place when it shows up in our lives. The fact of the matter is that suffering is commonplace in the world in which we live. It's commonplace. It's commonplace. There's good and bad. There's joy and sorrow. And oftentimes we can find ourselves experiencing both joy and sorrow at the same time. And God promises to be with us in those moments. Wow. Notice the ecological way that this truth is reinforced. Have you ever noticed the earth as it rotates through its 24-hour circle? If you're on the part of the earth that's facing the sun, then it's daylight. When the sun is shining, you're in the light, but just keep living. The earth will keep rotating, and at some point, the part of the earth that you're on will turn away from the sun, and then it will be dark. Keep living. The earth will keep turning. It'll turn back towards the sun, and then it'll be light again. And over the course of a 24-hour cycle, we rotate from sunlight to darkness, from darkness to sunlight, from sunlight uh, to darkness, from night to day, from day to night. It's an ecological reality that reminds us that life is made up of this remarkable mixture, and yet God is in the center of it all. He calls us to hold on to it. So with that, let me just talk to you about two things. First is the promise. The spiritual truth embedded in this text is actually a promise. Listen to what, what God declares, not just to Cyrus, but spiritually he says to all of us, I believe this promise. He says this, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. Now here's the spiritual insight that comes with that. There are secret riches to be discovered in our suffering. Now, let me hasten to say, I'm sure you feel like me. If I was sitting out there and I heard a preacher say this, I would say, well, I don't want those riches. <laughs> I'm not catching a plane to go get those riches. No, 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 no. It means heartbreak and suffering and pain and all that kind of stuff. No. Keep them. But God is not begging us to go into suffering so that we can acquire these. What God is saying is that life is already so structured in such a way that we are going to be forced into periods of suffering because we rotate, come on, from day to night, from night 
today. It's unavoidable. And he says, but don't worry. Come on now. I'm going to give, which means I'm going to be with you. Come on now. If, you're, if your relationship with me is intact, I, I will not abandon you in the darkness. We'll come back to that in a few moments. And, and, and while we're going through it, I'm going to show you some treasures that will enrich your life as you go through it. Let me put it another way. Here's what God says. Just hold on to me. And I'll take yesterday's miseries and I will create fresh meaning for tomorrow's journey. He says, hold on to me and I'll take the profound pain that you feel like you can't live through today. And I will transform it into inconceivable purpose that will empower your life tomorrow. Just hold on. There are some treasures in the dark. And I put it like this. If I've got to go through it, then I want all I can get from it. Say it with me. If I've got to go through it, then I want all I can get from it. Show me. Show me, God. Give me. Give me. Give me. If I've got to go through cancer, if I've got to go through divorce, if I've got to go through problems with my kids, if I've got to go through, come on now, losing my house because of the financial situation, if if I've got to go through it, Oh, help me to get the riches in route. Through it. Wow. Well, the promise is, God says, I got you. You stay intact. Don't leave me. Don't abandon me. Stay intact. You know, Kay Warren, who is the wife of uh, Rick Warren, she talks about, a few weeks ago I heard her talk about this same passage, and she says, first of all, she hates darkness. That at her house she keeps all the lights on, partly because you know, she has a darkness phobia. And part of that is driven by the fact that when she doesn't have her glasses on, she's frostbitten, and everything in the dark looks frightening and scary. She adds to that the fact that uh, she has a low-grade kind of clinical depression that she's always working through. And the last place she wants to be is in dark places. And yet she affirmed the truth of this spiritual truth that I'm talking about, that she has experienced in her own life, how God will walk through with us through horrendous, tough, suffering moments and show us and give to us treasures in the midst of the dark. She talks about, for example, when she discovered that she had breast cancer. And ultimately, the doctor told her there was nothing else that could be done. I remember her husband, Rick Warren, sending out a letter and explaining to those of us pastors, tens of thousands of us across the country who had been praying that uh, the doctor said that it was out of their hands. And yet, miraculously, can somebody shout miraculously? Supernaturally, can you shout supernaturally? That's after the natural has ended, the super kicks in. Come on now. Supernaturally, God moves. And 20 plus years later, she's still preaching and teaching and engaging with life. And she said God gave her treasures as she went through that horrendous season of darkness. It is, I'm not suggesting that you should want to go through dark periods. I'm not suggesting that we glorify suffering because I certainly don't. I'm just saying since we've got to go through it. Since we've got to go through it, let's go through it with our eyes open and our hands clamped to the one who's able to, to enrich our lives on the journey. And here's... Two insights, she says, two treasures. First, she says that she gathered out of that experience the ability to comfort others who are facing life-threatening illnesses. It reminded me back when I was in seminary days many, many decades ago. uh, I, along with a whole group of pastors, went to a conference at Princeton University. The late, great Reverend Dr. Gardner Taylor was preaching. And he said to all of us aspiring, sitting out there, he says, you know, if you want to be a great preacher one day, he says, here's, what, here's the secret to being a great preacher. 
He says, you've got to give God permission to take life, to use life and cut you deeply. He says, because only, only in the, in the, in the woundedness of your own pain will you find the keys to unlock with credibility the pains of those who are sitting and listening to you in the pews. And unfortunately, he's right. And that's what Kay said. She found treasure in the dark. God gave her the ability to care for people in ways that she couldn't do it before. The second thing she says that one of the treasures she found in the darkness was this, that she realized that life is short, guys, and that she rises every morning not determined not to be short-circuited by nonsense, but to live a life of passion and purpose. But then she goes on. She talks about the worst dark season in her life that she's ever experienced, and that was when her son Matthew, also suffering from uh, mental health challenges, horrendous depression, after years of prayer, years of using their financial resources, spiritual resources, he took his life. She said it was the darkest place she's ever been in. She said, but God was there. And, 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 and in the mystery of the darkness, of unanswered questions, she gathered a treasure. And the treasure was that she, she, she developed a more intimate walk with Jesus as she learned to trust him in the, in the darkest place of her life. And she said it nurtured within her another treasure, a longing for heaven with the resurrection of Jesus as a deposit, as a down payment on a future day. Come on now. When death shall die. <laughs> and, and, and we shall be restored to our loved ones and broken bodies restored and broken minds restored. She says, I long, I look forward to it. She's not racing to it, but she's not running from it. She is, has a posture of waiting in a place of faithfulness, but she looks forward to it. Can somebody say treasures given in the darkness? So how do we engage this? How do we engage this? That's the promise. Well, there's a process. There's a process. Remember now, the scripture says, God says, I will give. It's something that God says, I'm going to release it. There's, in a sense, a kind of a supernatural move that takes place as you struggle in relationship with me as you work through the issue. Come on, I'll do it. The first thing, though, in order to position ourselves to experience what God wants to bless us with as we go through horrible challenges is that we've got to decide to transition from recycling our pain to processing our pain. Now, when I use the word recycling, I'm talking about uh, cycling back, as we often do, to the trauma, cycling back to the pain. Cycling, cycling back and, 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 and not to understand it per se, but to feed off of it. That in some way as an, as an addict feeding for, and, 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 and science tells us our brain can, can begin to operate like this, that, that, that we end up feeding off of the trauma in a sense, in a way to keep re-traumatizing and keep, as opposed to, pulling it apart and processing it and reintegrating it back into a, a story that helps us to become richer. Wow. You know, I heard a preacher kind of talk about this a few weeks ago. He was talking about hope. And he said this. 
He says, sometimes <clears throat> he says, sometimes we become so busy monitoring the misery of our mess that we miss magnifying the master of our miracle. Can I just say that one more time? Sometimes we become so busy monitoring the misery of our mess that we miss ma uh, magnifying the master of our miracle. When I think about that, I think about how the nation of Israel was arguing with with, with Moses, here they were, their backs was turned to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was rushing down on them, and they were placing blame on Moses. Why did you pull us out here? Why did you tell us God brought us out here? This is foolish. This is crazy. We're going we're to die. And while their backs was turned to the Red Sea, while they were complaining and finding ways to place blame, that God, come on now, the, 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 the master was at work working out a miracle behind them, preparing to open up the sea. Come on now. Preparing to make a way out of no way. And all I'm just suggesting is that somebody's listening to me. You just keep going back, harping on what happened, harping on what's not right, harping on what's not fair. And you're missing the fact that the master of your life wants to make a way out of no way, but you got your back turned to the miracle, monitoring the misery. Y'all, y'all, he listening. Misery. Praise God. Hmm. Let's move from recycling to processing. Two steps you got to do in order to process. The first is you've got to understand the power found in revisiting. And another word for revisiting is remembering because sometimes we can revisit some strategic places in our lives geographically, some strategic moments in our lives that, that geographically empowers us when we find ourselves in suffering later, and sometimes we go there just in our minds, we remember the goodness and the graces and greatness of God, for example. Let me just tell you quickly. This past weekend, uh, I went back to my hometown, Cachetta, Louisiana. We had our 40th anniversary celebration of our graduating class, high school graduating class, 1982. And a lot of things that makes our class special, but one of the things is that when we started off in elementary school in the River of Paris, as a parish that, uh, that, that we grew up in, in Cushada, uh, we were the first integrated uh, public uh, school uh, experience in the parish, and that was forced by the courts. And so when we come full circle, graduating in 82, it's a big, big deal. And so I had a mass, amazing experience. I got to meet old friends, and, and I think we're throwing some pictures up now. I had two incredibly close friends all the way through high school when it wasn't easy to be my friend and middle school. And for the first time in 40 years, we occupied the same room together. It was amazing. Thomas Kirk and Eric Willis. And you see, Ace Boonko. I give God praise. But just before I got ready to leave, I realized I'd been so busy working with the, 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 the banquet, etc., I hadn't had a chance to do what I always do when I go home. And I had been home in three years. It's been a big deal. I feel like a huge part of my life was missing. And so I decided to go through my ritual. And if you go to my Facebook page, you'll find that what I did was I chronicled. I just had a, a move of God's spirit. I decided to let my Facebook community in on my ritual and my revisiting ritual and why I did what I did. 
So I started at the banks of the Red River where my grandmother used to live. And, and, I, and I talked about why that was important to revisit there. And I moved from there to the graveyard where my grandaunt is buried right next to her mother, right next to her, uh, her, her sister. And I talked about the importance of being there, even though I knew that my grandaunt uh, was not in that grave. Come on now, absent from the body is present with the Lord. But why it was important. And then I went to the church that I grew up in. And then I went to the house, which is a shack collapsing and grasses grown all up around it revisiting and what was I doing on the one hand I was attending to the everlasting grief that I carry as a result of the loss rather than denying it I'm engaging it and, and helping it to be reworked back into my life treasures in the darkness but on the other hand I'm remembering the incredible greatness of God's power took a kid that was on his way off the cliff of life and took, come on now, country town, oftentimes uneducated, God-loving, Bible-believing, come on now, people who saw stuff in me that I didn't see in myself and turned my life around. Can somebody shout God's greatness? We see this in text about the importance of revisiting and remembering, don't we? Don't you remember when Joshua led the nation of Israel across the Jordan River in the same way that Moses had led across the Red Sea? And, and the, 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 the river's open and he leads them through. And then he tells them, I want you to go back and get rocks. Each person, 12 of you, get a rock out of the center of the river and bring it because it's, it's the, the water has divided and you can get the rock and it's dry. And I want you to make a memorial. Here's what he says in verse 6. He says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. You see, in the future, your children will ask you. They will interrogate this, this memorial. They will question it. Come on now. What do these stones mean? Uh, then... You can tell them they are an expression of the greatness of God. That's what he means. He says they remind us of when the Jordan River stopped flowing because the ark of the Lord, which represented the presence of and the power of a great God that was among them. Come on. They had a claim on their lives. The Lord of the covenant, how he went across and led us through. And so what I'm suggesting is that we go back to these moments, these milestone moments, and we interrogate them. <laughs> what, what, what do we see happening here? Where might we find, come on now, the greatness of God being explored? Let me tell you a quick, another quick story as we make some through this. Just before I got ready to record this message, I got a call from my dear friend, Pastor Tony Williams, who preached for us a powerful message last weekend. And some of you may recall a few Months ago, he talked about his horrendous journey through suffering. He had about 30 medical procedures. Half of them were botched. He ended up coming out of the hospital on a feeding tube. And when they send you home on a feeding tube, they pretty much anticipate that, you know, you're going to maybe last about six months or somewhere therein. They assume that they will remove the feeding tube from your dead body. And Tony went home and he went from one level of suffering to the next to the next. And yet he kept holding on and clinging as best he could 
to the greatness of a God that had moved him from one, one season of miracles to the next, to the next. And, and, and God kept saying, I'm not finished. I'm not finished with you yet. And, and over a period of time, five years now, come on now, not six months, five years, started to eat a little bit more, drank a little bit more, started to drink, driving before we know it, he's up and he's about, he's re-engaging ministry after his retirement. He's part of our ministry here at San Jose. And then he called me to say that he went to the doctor the other day. They removed the tube. He no longer has a feeding tube. Can somebody shout, God is great. Yes, indeed. God is great. And so I suspect that Pastor Tony every now and then will pass by Kaiser Hospital in Santa Clara. And when the children, his grandchildren, ask him, why are you passing by the hospital in Santa Clara? He said, because I want to pause a moment and give God some praise for the greatness of God. Come on now. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to remember. And when you remember what he did yesterday, you're reminded what he can do today. But we also revisit and remember because we're not, we, we, we want access to greatness, but we also want access to grace. Because sometimes the Reverend Dr. Tony Williams' miracles do not occur. The K. Warren miraculous healing from cancer does not occur. Sometimes you've got to deal with an unanswered prayer in the midst of the darkness. It is the suicide of her son, Matthew. What do you need then when the greatness of God is not seemingly accessible? What you need then is the grace of God. The grace of God that sustains you and carries you through. Paul teaches us about this and remarkable ritual that we find here in the church where we're reminded that we are to return again. This is why it's important to collectively gather in community virtually and also in person where we can. And once a month, we have a communion service of people across the country and across the world virtually. We call it refresh, gather, and we return to remember what Paul teaches here. Notice what he teaches. And inside of this is some grace. Listen to what he teaches. On the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this. Here it is in remembrance of me. There's a memorial. In the same way, he took the cup that uh, had some wine after supper. And he said, here's what he said. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed. Shout agreement. It's, a, it's an agreement confirmed. Another word is sealed with my blood. Blood represents his total life that he's about to pour out on Calvary's cross. It's, in other words, you can depend on my faithfulness. You, you can depend on my reliability. That, that, that even when it looks like I'm not working, I'm still dependable. Come on now. And, and I'm with you on your journey. I'll never abandon you. And, and notice what it says. Uh, 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 and, and as often as you do this, you drink from this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until I come. You're reminding yourself that Jesus, the one who is the epitome of God at his most faithfulness, entered death at its worst through the most 
uh, unimaginable experience of suffering. That's crucifixion. Why? Uh, to atone for the brokenness and the sinfulness of our lives so that that will not have the last word. And then he takes on death, the most horrible thing of it all, and then he conquers that. Come on now, I told you earlier, as a down payment on a future day. And so it is that Jesus when we remember that while we're in the hospital. Remember that while we're standing in the courtroom and the divorce is taken. Remember that while we're standing at the graveyard uh, watching our departed, the departed body of a loved one go in. We remember that. Come on now. That the grace of God echoes through eternity and declares that Jesus is the ultimate authority over all creation and he will have the last word over those of us who trust ourselves to him death at some point will die itself he will vanquish it and it is that grace that will sustain us as we make our way through what feels like unimaginable suffering and somebody shout grace and so we engage in the ritual of the church we revisit we remember who Jesus is what he has done and we claim it on our behalf even though we don't see it in the midst of our suffering. Ah, that is a treasure that he gives us in the darkness. Mm. And the last piece, let me finish this up. Can somebody shout reevaluate? You've got to revisit, which comes about memory. Then you've got to reevaluate, to re that first part of the re, I like that word. It means to it means to 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 turn, to renew. Come on now. Uh, uh, to look again, if you will, to evaluate, means to, to assess, at evaluate. It has at the root of it, that root word from which we get the word value. It, it, it is to suggest that, that we look at those painful places in our lives. We look at those moments of tragedies in our lives, and then we begin to interrogate them. And, 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 and sometimes we ask why. Often we will not have the answer to the question of why, but then we can ask how. Come on. Uh, how was God present? How did he reveal? And the further we get away from it, we can look back and we can see the hand of God had always been at work in the most excruciating times of our lives. And, 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 and then we, we then assign a new value to that experience as we reintegrate it back into our story. That, 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 that yesterday, it was a story of tragedy and scars. Come on now, I'm talking about me walking through Cushada. But today, it's a story story of how God's grace took scars and transformed them, come on, to, into expressions of his power and, and his love. Yes, yesterday, come on now, it was a feeding tube, but today, come on now, it's an expression of God's delivering power. Yesterday, I was at the graveyard bearing my son, Kay says, but today the grace of God sustains me as I look forward to the day that I shall see him again and I'm able to be faithful in the suffering. Yeah, yeah. I assign a fresh value to where I am. Yeah. And I reintegrate it back into my story, my journey. Mm. My God. My God. <laughs> Listen what he says. Yeah, I'll give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret places. What kind of value do you attach to your darkness that surrounds your suffering? I, I, I like the 1966 song 
uh, called The Sound of Silence. You may remember it, written by Simon and, and Garfunkel. And here's how it starts off. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. In other words, I can, I'm going to keep revisiting you. I'm going to keep reinterrogating because I'm looking for where is the power and the grace and the presence and perhaps the purpose of God available in this experience that is moving me forward. Let me interrogate the darkness. And as we interrogate the darkness, come on, we revisit our Savior who is the epitome, the expression of God with us in our misery. Jesus, the text says in, verse, in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says we find him on the cross and at noon, darkness, out darkness, fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And at three o'clock, Jesus cries out the cry that we often cry. He gives us permission as he models it. And he cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is by translation, where are you, Father? I can't find you. There's nothing but darkness all around me. And, and, and here's where I part company with some of my theologian brothers who say that at this moment that the Father abandoned the this, this Son so that he would not have to abandon us. Come on, one does not necessarily require the other. I argue that he was not abandoned. Come on now. I argue that as we interrogate, interrogate the darkness, we'll discover, come on, that the Father was always there. Watch what Second Samuel writes as he talks about God uh, in his mysterious ways. He says, watch this, he's talking about God. He says, he shrouded himself in darkness. Oh, did you see it? <laughs> come on. Now, if God shrouds himself in darkness, that means that the darkness itself is not evil. And we've got to make sure we understand that darkness is not equated with evil. Because if we do, we'll start saying that everything that's dark or black might be evil. We have to be careful. Come on now. Darkness does not equate with evil. Because the text says the Father God shrouds himself in darkness. Oh, y'all ain't listening. And, 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 and what, what, what I get excited about it is that the darkness is that the evil hides in the darkness oftentimes. But, but, but the text says that sometimes when we most not recognize it that God shrouds himself in the darkness. The darkness represents the confusion that surrounds our suffering. It represents the unanswered questions that surrounds our suffering. It represents the mysteriousness of our suffering, the, the lack of explanation of our suffering and, 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 and it makes us feel isolated often and yet as we interrogate the darkness we discover that the God that we know in Jesus never abandons us. He's, he's the darkness. Come on now. Is the place where he surrounds us. He shrouds himself. He's there. And it is that God that says, I give you treasures in the darkness. I give you me. That's the hope, y'all. That's the ultimate hope we find in suffering is God, that he's with us. And he says, I will do this so that you may know that, I'm a, that you may notice, that you may notice, that you may pay attention, that I'm still God of Deliverer. I'm still the Redeemer. Come on now, I'm still the, uh, I'm still the great sanctifier. I'm still, come on now, your company keeper when you're lonely. I'm still here to be a rock in a weary land. I'm still here, come on, to be your, your source of hope and strength. I have never, shall never abandon you. So don't you abandon me. For I have called you by name. 
you are mine. Even in the suffering, you belong to me and I belong to you. Trust me as I walk you through it. And everybody shout amen, amen, and amen. Here's where you move from being an observer to a participant in the work of God uh, through this ministry in your life. I want to invite you to simply scan the QR code. Take a step with me. Scan this QR code. And the first thing you're going to see is the reflection question. And go ahead and take a picture of this reflection question and wrestle with it with God. And if there's some people you can trust, process this question uh, with you, with them. In what ways have my life and faith been enriched through suffering? Secondly, for somebody, this is your moment to say, I want to be a Jesus follower. I want him to be the one who says, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I want him to walk with me through my tough places. And listen, I'm here to tell you, it, won't, it will not just change your tomorrows. It'll change your destiny. I would encourage you to go ahead and make that commitment and check the right box uh, there that indicates that. And if you want us to follow up with you, you can indicate that as well. And we'll follow up with you also. By the way, if you want to move from observing to being a part of our community on the same connection card, you can join a small group. You can say, I want more information about serving, etc." I want to encourage you to lean in. We'd love to have you a part of what God is doing through NBCC. Whatever you do, be back here next week. I'm telling you, I'm kicking off a brand new series, 9, 11 uh, a.m. Pacific time. Uh, it's simply called Relentless Love. We're going we're gonna to work through the book of Jonah, that mysterious, interesting book. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to jump into it. So I'll see you uh, here next week. If you're in the local bear, make sure you join us. We'd love to host you at our campuses at 11 a.m. at uh, either of our two in-person campuses. 